millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, everyone. Welcome to History Spaces, hopefully again. And I'm here with Jeff Messerman. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. That was not me on the clarinet. Oh, that was Benny Goodman and all the cats join in, which I think we will be adopting as our new theme song, possibly. As a cat owner, I appreciate that. Yeah, well, yes. we're, we're hep cats here <laughs> at History Spaces. <laughs> yes, we, we are. are now. <laughs> oh, gosh. Now I, I, I've never been accused of that before. <laughs> well, I accuse you. Everyone out there, Jeff is a hep cat. Come there on in go. and see him. Say hi. Come I on into the library. <laughs> Ask for Mr. Messerman. <laughs> it's a lonely life. <laughs> Look for the most impressive-looking guy in the library. Oh, you're too kind. That I'm in, will be Jeff. I'm in dire need of a haircut right now. I look like John Paul George Andringo. Oh, well. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> I think that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> hey, you know, we're, this is the first of a two-parter, and I entitled it The Andrew and Rachel Jackson Love Story. Oh, Parts well, that's, that's going to be a two-parter, no matter how you slice it. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's just too much to talk about. I mean, books have been written about this stuff. But, uh, you know, we know so much about other presidents' wives, you know, uh, Jackie Kennedy, uh, Mary Todd Lincoln, Martha Washington, and Sarah Polk, uh, and others. But uh, and yet we barely know anything about our current uh, first lady. We don't know much she about has it. A low, a, she has a low profile. She's a mystery woman. <laughs> yes, I wonder why. There's a story, but anyway, I you know. But the one that fascinates me most of all is the story between Andrew and Rachel, and uh, again, their love story. Now we're going to be looking at some very sentimental and uh, romantic things having to do with their life together. However. I, when I was doing the research for this, I came across an interesting fact 
all the way up until today because of Andrew Jackson's um, uh, implementation of the Trail of Tears and kicking the Native American tribes out of Georgia and other places and taking them across the Mississippi and plant, transplanting them to Oklahoma in very uh, unsavory circumstances and causing a lot of death and destruction culturally and physically. Uh, to this very day, there are members of the Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma who will not touch a $20 bill. They will not carry it. They will not touch it. They will not deal with it because his picture is on that bill. So there's another argument for possibly having Harriet Tubman replace him on the $20 bill there. So I just thought I'd mention that. I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> Might help the economy. More 20s floating around the, uh, you know, Oklahoma. <laughs> so, you know. Oh, gee. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> you got to look at it from all angles. You know, there's easy ways around that. Of course, you could just carry a bunch of, you know. Just make sure you have that bill broken oh. before you hand it over. I'll take that in fives. I, I, can I have all singles, please? <laughs> you know, a lot of tens and fives and right. everything. Absolutely in Oklahoma. So, <laughs> anyway, let's get down to Andrew and Rachel now. You know, Andrew Jackson was actually the first president to be born in a log cabin. Really, he was born in a log cabin. And I think North and South Carolina kind of argue about just <laughs> which state is fairly close to the line or whatever. It's I guess so it moved around. So petty. Yeah. <laughs> eh, well. And he spent much of his life in love with and deeply devoted to his wife, Rachel Donaldson Jackson. And she suffered greatly at the hands of her husband's political enemies during the course of his career as they tried to use... These enemies tried to use the unusual and scandalous circumstances surrounding the beginnings of their relationship in an attempt to destroy her husband's political career. You know, I think we should just say the wives are off limits, you know. Can we, can we do that for, uh, for politics? Can we just, just leave the wives out? They do that with the children pretty well. But well, let's, we're going to dispel the myth that, you know, things were actually better in the past. No, they weren't. <laughs> if anything, they were just as bad, if not worse. Oh, my. Yeah, people had no, uh, no discretion as far as what was fair game in the political arena. Now, theirs, Andrew and Rachel, was one of the great love stories of our nation's early history. They had met in 1790 when he had arrived in Nashville, Tennessee, to take up his duties as the new public prosecutor for the western part of the state. This was early in his career, soon after he had gotten his uh, a law degree. Not from a university, but he was just being tutored and mentored <laughs> in an office. So she was 21, and he was 22 years old. So he's so like a mail-order lawyer? Is that <laughs> by well, that's the, no, the... <laughs> The, uh, the training was not what it is today. It wasn't like seven years, four years undergrad, and then three or four years law school. No, I wonder if that's uh, a good no. thing or a bad thing. I'm not sure. Uh, you know. Well, education has become an industry. It has indeed. You know? So yeah. anyway, uh, Rachel was separated from her husband, Louis Robards of Kentucky, and living with her mother at the boarding house that she ran in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, one of the boarders there was, here we go, Andrew Jackson. He was also there. And he took an immediate but very respectful interest in young Rachel. 
That sounds like a great Avon uh, paperback. Uh, our boarding house romance. <laughs> 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 a Hallmark Channel. Sure. I think Hallmark Channel <laughs> is calling here. Now, by all accounts, she was a beautiful and very alluring young woman who was a great dancer, had a very winning smile, and smoked a corncob pipe. That's, that's, that's kind of interesting. Pretty foxy, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> a lifelong uh, pipe smoker. Yeah. They spent more and more time together until her husband appeared in order to attempt to salvage their four-year marriage. So she must have gotten married quite young, 17, 18 years old at, at the latest. Now, this uh, Louis Robards, he saw the attraction between Jackson and his wife. And being a man of quick emotions and a violent temper, and I always think, you know, it's kind of like Jackson himself. That's why those two guys didn't <laughs> like each other, because they were exact mirror images of each other. That's my favorite term of the week now, by the way. Uh, a man of quick emotions. <laughs> I like <Yeah>. that. <laughs> That's, I'm a big fan of that. That's great. I know. You keep that under control here. Right? I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Robards uh, angrily confronted Jackson on a number of occasions, accusing him of trying to steal away his wife. Jackson just as angrily denounced Robards as a scoundrel. That's a lovely 19th century That's word. It's a great word, it? too. A scoundrel. <laughs> You're really bringing the goods today. <laughs> for, yeah, well, for doubting the innocence and honor of Rachel. They almost came to blows during these heated arguments. And in one instance, Robards threatened to kill Jackson during one of these heated verbal exchanges. Which you can't do as much nowadays. <laughs> Can't can't threaten to kill. Just, no, just ra randomly threaten to kill someone. <laughs> well, a throwaway you, line. You get a restraining order from court, and we really exactly. know just how effective those things oh, are boy. in preventing <laughs> violence, especially domestic violence. And don't get me started oh, on boy. this. Okay. Now, Jackson suggested a duel, but Robards only answered him with more insults and profanity. Didn't want to accept that. Accept that. Now, the air was temporarily cleared when Jackson left on his circuit rounds of western Tennessee and had to follow the court around. And Rachel returned with her husband to Kentucky to attempt a reconciliation. She returned to Nashville weeks later, however, after continued arguments and abuse from her husband again drove her away. Now, Robards followed her back to Nashville. Now, why did he come? Wasn't he tried again? Didn't work. Maybe he came back. I'm assuming, he come, I'm assuming he didn't come to see the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> Just didn't want to let go. You know? Right. She, she returned to Nashville, of course. Robards followed, and he accused Jackson again of being too intimate with his wife. Now, Jackson threatened. I love this. It gets... Wicked. Jackson threatened to cut off Robard's ears. Wow. <laughs> if he ever again suggested that he and Rachel had anything but an honorable, friendly relationship. It's very random. There's a lot of things you could cut off, and he chose ears. Yeah, well, I don't know. maybe that was just to begin. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that? I'll start with the ears and work my way down. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give anyone any ideas. <laughs> we don't need a suit. 
<laughs> no, not at all. I got that idea from, <laughs> from Jeff. History spaces. And history spaces. I don't think I'm nearly that impressive, but uh, yeah, we, <laughs> we are a litig- litigious society. Did I say that right? Litigious? I think Lit- litigious. Litigious. Yeah. Is that it? I think okay, so. Okay. Yeah. I mispronounced that on the radio a number of months ago, and you corrected me on that. <laughs> Jay Messerman so. at CedarburgLibrary.org. If you need yeah, to well. <laughs> send us the proper. <laughs> we, uh, he's a member of the Grammar Police. Keeps <laughs> me honest. Yeah. I'm, uh, the reservist. <laughs> now one account of this whole disagreement had Jackson chasing Robards into a woods with a butcher knife during one of their arguments. So this was getting quite serious. Bring me those ears, you rogue, you scoundrel. <laughs> now, now Robards, in retaliation for all this attention he was getting from Jackson in reaction to Robards' accusations, Robards had a warrant for disturbing the peace served on Jackson. And Robards, a constable, and several guards marched Jackson under guard to appear before a magistrate, a judge. Now, during the walk on the way there, however, Jeff, (laughs) (laughs) Jackson borrowed a hunting knife from one of the guards. Now, why would the guard give him a knife? I I don't know, but what a a good idea. He probably knew all of these people. They were both, you know, he was a well-known person in the area. Oh, it's okay. Give him a knife. He's just a man of quick emotions. I just want (laughs) to clean my nails or something. (laughs) Yes. What do you think? (laughs) Well, Jackson took the knife and glancing threateningly at Robards from time to time, he carefully examined the sharp blade of the weapon. And then he'd look over at Robards, look back at the weapon, look over at Robards. These people are like eight years old. Yeah. Both very, you know, they're two children, it seems. They very much are. But anyway, Robards got the message and losing his nerve, fled from Jackson into the woods and wasn't seen for quite a while. <laughs> now, all charges were dismissed since Robards was not present when the party finally arrived at the magistrate's court. So, Later that year, rumors spread that Robards had returned to Kentucky and had asked permission to proceed with the divorce. Now, this was interesting because in these days, if you wanted a divorce... You had to get an act from the state legislature granting you this divorce. It wasn't an easy <laughs> thing to get. Wow. No-fault divorce was not a thing. Okay, Maybe it should still be that. And I just read something and discussed this with my daughter she, uh, and uh, wife, that you know the advent of no-fault divorce resulted in a lot of, uh, a lot of divorces, and people think, well— you know, it's just the end of marriage and all that. But actually, no-fault divorce allowed women a voice so that they could express their dissatisfaction with the way things were. And so really, no-fault divorce probably was a good thing because it allowed women not to be trapped in, in these marriages. And yeah, The problem with that, though, is that um, my wife and I have to have separate butters. Because I I like to <laughs> I like to excavate the butter and she likes to scrape off the top and she the way I do it makes her crazy and I I'm always fearful that the butter factor may be the end of our marriage. <laughs> well, you know, it's stupendous issues such as that that really determine <laughs> the day to day happiness of any couple. I think it's a lot of small. We, so we solved it though. We have, like I said, we have separate butters. 
There's it's, his and hers. Oh, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. It, it does challenge our problem-solving ability, doesn't it? it? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, every day. <laughs> so flexibility is, is key there. It is indeed. Okay. Now, assuming, now, Rachel, back to Rachel and Andrew. Now, assuming that Robards had, in fact, gotten the divorce, Andrew and Rachel got married. But the divorce was not granted until two years later in 1793. I was just going to ask, was that a pretty quick turnaround? I guess not. No. <laughs> so it turned out that Rachel and Andrew were not legally married at all, and that Rachel was, technically speaking, a bigamist. I was just going to say, or I was just kind of shacking up in sin a little bit there. Is that yeah, uh, what's going on? No, or, but but bigamy, yeah. they took it to the next People level. People were much quicker to whip that sort of accusation out right, then than right. they are now. But, well, wow. Now, finding out that their marriage was not a legal one, Jeff, Andrew and Rachel went through a second marriage ceremony to bring them into accordance with the law. So they thought, okay. Jackson thought that the issue was, was resolved then and would be a forgotten footnote to the lives of him and his wife. <laughs> Until he decided not, to run for president. <laughs> not true. You know, that was a temporary <laughs> thing. And I don't mean to diminish, you know, the controversies and the problem that he was facing. But, you know, interesting, I found out, though, that Robards himself went back to Kentucky. And before he was granted a divorce... He got married again as well. <laughs> the high and, and mighty Robards. <laughs> supposedly, he had a kind of a happy marriage and had 10 children. There we go. And his descendants to this very day live in Kentucky, in uh, Bullet County, Kentucky. <laughs> Bullet County, Kentucky? Yeah, no That's one a seems, real place. <laughs> no one ever seemed to bring that up. You know, Rachel, yeah, okay, but he. He did the same thing, but no one ever hears about that. That's so. amazing. But, of course, men always get a pass, don't we? You know, I bet every Thanksgiving at the Robards table, they bring this up. They're just like, oh, those uh, Jacksons. <laughs> oh, gee, I know. <laughs> gee. How, you know, well, they thought the problem solved. Right, well, right. as his prominence as a politician grew, his political enemies used the issue of his, quote, stealing, unquote, of Robards' wife and they're living together without being legally married to smear Jackson's reputation and moral character whenever possible. <laughs> Always brought up. Now, the attacks on Rachel were particularly vicious because she was a woman, and according you know, to the values and ideas of that day, she could not defend herself against attacks on her character. Women had absolutely no voice. Wow. You know, they had no place in public. They did not speak in public. And remember that there was that old phrase in the 19th century that a woman only had her name in the newspaper, if at all, <laughs> in three occasions, when she was born, when she was married, and when she died. Other than that, you were completely in private. That's the standard. Now, can we unpack this whole she does not speak in public? Are we saying that they... Yeah, that's right. Like, unless you're... You know, Elizabeth Cady Stanton or right, somebody, right. Elizabeth Woodhall or sure. someone like that. You know, they broke. That's why they were so controversial, because they broke all the taboos. Yeah. And we think, oh, yeah, they were speaking in public. Big deal. But just the fact that they were doing that yeah, yeah. offended many men, all men, it seemed. And, and Who does many she think, women. Too. Right, right. Who does she think she is? That's is right. Exactly. Yeah, oh, my. Whew. 
Well, yeah, you know, we were, we wonder where a lot of. In fact, I just this morning on the news show they were talking about the equal rights amendment uh, uh, working its way through Virginia today. That's right. And I, I was completely flummoxed, flabbergasted by this because I thought this was a dead issue. I thought this was this is ERA is like a seventies thing. I thought we were done. Oh, yeah, we're the, not done. <laughs> yeah, the deadline for having the states ratify it was sometime in the 1980s. Yeah. And they didn't make it to 38 states, but mm-hmm. finally they did. But whether or not that's ever going to take effect, you know how controversial giving women <laughs> equal rights <laughs> is. Lord. I mean, boy, that could tear the country apart. Oh, my gosh. I mean, really? just I had I was really surprised by that. So this is all kind of, and we wonder where all that comes from. Well, we're, we're just currently today here on January 16th when we're recording, 2020, we are still the product of all of this history. It's still laying there. And it's it not, is. not going anywhere. And I can do you one better here. Indeed. And you can pass this along to the people who are recording the show of, What's the one about race? Uh, Bridge the Divide. Bridge the Divide. Yeah. Everyone, come see the show being taped. Mm -hmm. Listen to it. It's wonderful. But here, (laughs) I found out recently that the state of Mississippi did not, the legislature for the state of Mississippi did not ratify the 13th Amendment to the Constitution outlawing slavery until 1995. Jeez. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. So in 94, you could still maybe kind of get away with a slave or they, two. They did not approve. This is crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. Really, you couldn't even concede, okay, that's an amendment to the Constitution. We can't do it. 1995, well, may- oh, gee. we think with our little glowing rectangle screens that we're so advanced, but I'll tell you what. No, we're, we're not. We're just getting out of the caves, folks. We're just getting out of them. I know. But <laughs> I know Jeff and I laugh about a lot of stuff, but, you know, who said that? You know, I have to laugh. Lincoln said that. He said, I have to laugh because otherwise I'd cry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know? it's so. uh, <laughs> now, back to Andrew, though. He considered any attack on the character of Rachel an attack on himself. Nobleman. Yes. And if she could not defend herself against such insults, he would step in and defend her himself and to the death if necessary. He and seems like that type. Yeah. <laughs> we'll to go defend to the Quick death. Quick to get angry. <laughs> yes. He's still a young man here when we're talking here. So, and, and when he was young, he was very fiery, supposedly. He mellowed a bit and with age, maybe just to a slow burn, but you know, he was pretty fiery. Now, on May 30th, 1806, Andrew Jackson fought a duel with a man named Charles Dickinson and found himself, for the sake of his wife, Rachel... Nearly a dead man. Yeah. Now, how did this happen? And I'm here to tell you the story, Jeff, because they can't leave you hanging. Do you want to cliffhanger that over a break? Because actually, we're getting close to that. I mean, I should get people to come back and uh, hear uh, hear that story. The story of Andrew and his near-death experience. (laughs) It was. We'll be back. See you later.
Macedonia Lullaby from Benny Goodman on that break there. Yes, I think we're committing to sampling the Benny Goodman catalog that's available to us. I actually, in my imagination, uh, think the Benny Goodman Orchestra is right here in the studio with us. They're actually playing us to the break. <laughs> so, Hello, Benny. <laughs> we're out well. Thanks for coming in, guys. <laughs> I have to pay the uh, musicians' union a little bit after the show. Yeah, we've okay. expanded the studio, though. <laughs> Absolutely. Can you imagine cramming that band in here? <laughs> so, someone, someone tried to put the Macedonia lullaby on Andrew Jackson, I heard, before the... <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, let's see. This is one that, that uh, duel that I'm going to speak of with Charles Dickinson is one of the most famous, famous duels in American history. And well, let's just tell the story. In late 1805 and early 1806, as a result of gossip and a minor understanding having to do with a race, one of Jackson's horses had won. He was an avid horse racer. A few reckless words spoken about Rachel's character turned into a major incident that almost ended Jackson's political career as well as his life. Now, who is this Charles Dickinson? Now, Charles Dickinson was a young, reckless, arrogant attorney who was a partial owner of the horse that was defeated by Jackson's horse in a race and was reported I mean, uh, Dickinson was reported to be the best pistol shot in the state of Tennessee. <laughs> Just thought I'd mention that going <laughs> in. Yeah. Now, how, can, how can we quantify that, Jerry? <laughs> did they ever have a tournament? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <I'm just> curious. <laughs> in a tavern while drinking with friends, Dickinson made some disparaging comments about Rachel. And when Jackson heard of them, he sought out Dickinson and confronted him face to face and demanded an explanation. Now, Dickinson was very startled by this sudden confrontation, and he lamely explained that if he had made any rude comments about Mrs. Jackson, he had made them while drunk and did not mean what he said. Now, Jackson accepted this public explanation and left the tavern, but the matter did not end there. They rarely do, do they? It should have. <laughs> yeah. I, I said something dumb while drunk. I apologize. Well, here's the where the politics come in, Jeff. <laughs> uh -oh. Now, political enemies of Jackson were said to have encouraged Dickinson to continue making disparaging remarks about Jackson and his wife. It's a good, thing, he, good thing Dickinson didn't have Twitter. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Don't even go there. <laughs> <laughs> just Twitter has been the, the worst possible thing that's happened to our political landscape. Absolutely. Well, not really the worst, but it's, it hasn't helped. It's up there. Yeah. Now, troublemakers who were acquainted with the tension between the two men also spread inaccurate reports of comments made by both individuals, just making things up. Jackson then received another report of Dickinson making an insulting comment about the moral character of Rachel. And this, in addition to other misunderstandings, both real and imagined, <laughs> caused Jackson to write a letter to Dickinson, challenging him to a duel so as to receive, quote, satisfaction, unquote. <laughs> According to the code of honor lived by gentlemen of social standing. I love that. In the I, South. Need, I need to send more letters uh, telling people that I need satisfaction. 
That's a great term, you know. I also went to the post office. I don't like your current postage rates, and I need satisfaction. <laughs> Watch it, Joe. <laughs> Treat me nice. Try, yeah, or else I'm gonna get a letter. I'm gonna get satisfaction. <laughs> I, I have to give him a better slot on the uh, on the on the broadcast. You know, there's room for us to. Uh, Pace off with pistols out in the park. That is there. true. That is very oh, true. We haven't it hasn't come this. to blow. You know that happens in taverns. I noticed this all began in taverns, but seldom do you hear these stories beginning in libraries. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> we're a nice bunch. Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know. There, I've seen a few testy librarians there, in well, my day. <laughs> that's true. Overdue fees can get a little strange, but uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, gee. Well, if we had something like that going on, I mean, the duel, you know, we could have a parade first. <laughs> we could actually make it, a fe- we could make it a festival, yeah. <laughs> a duel festival. Have the pom-pom squad <laughs> sure, and, sure. and the floats, church groups. <laughs> Meet you at Cedar Creek Park. <laughs> it's all coming to a head. <laughs> the culmination of the entire weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I say get rid of the ballot by the voting booths and let's do it that way. <laughs> well, I think maybe that's, that's the way they should do the election. I mean, it's the same thing. They're ripping each other. They're killing each other that's verbally. True. That is true. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> now the seconds, or the, that's what they call the personal representatives of each of these parties: Jackson on one hand, Dickinson on the other. The seconds met to arrange the time and place and circumstances of their meeting. (laughs) Okay, it's called a meeting. Now, Jackson and Dickinson were to meet on the morning of January 31st, 1806. It's an anniversary coming up for us then. That's right. We're on the verge here. About three weeks, two weeks, two and a half weeks away. Yes. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) You planned this out so well, Jerry. I love that. (laughs) Hadn't thought about that, but there's a coinky-dink here. Now, and at a distance of 24 feet, were to each be armed with a single-shot pistol and could fire at will upon a signal given by an agreed-upon individual. I'm a cheater. I'd have brought a bazooka. (laughs) (laughs) I just leveled the whole area. Concealed carry. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I've met people who are afraid to go into public places because they don't know who's armed anymore. I mean, even into a Walmart or some place. That's where we're at, unfortunately, at this uh, time, day and age. Yeah, Yeah, anyway. In, uh, In the days leading up to the duel... Dickinson publicly displayed his skill with the pistol by firing five shots into a target that was the size of a silver dollar at a distance of, guess what, 24 feet. Ooh. Yeah. Sending a message not so veiled to his opponent. (laughs) He also amazed observers by hanging a piece of string from a limb of a tree and splitting it in two with a single shot from a pistol. He was practicing. This sounds like, like uh, lore more than real. I mean, to split a string with a bullet, that's pretty impressive. Well, much of history is like that. that We've explored true. that <laughs> sort of thing. Remember last week, we, all the different stories for where this or that oh, sure. yeah. uh, historical fact actually comes from? We yeah. don't know. <laughs> now, uh, Dickinson was then supposed to have said after he split that string okay. with a single shot, he said, quote, if General Jackson comes along this road, show him that, unquote. <laughs> now, get this. Bets were being placed by people in Nashville and around the state. 
and most of the money was being wagered on Dickinson to win the duel. Ah, very good. All yeah, right. so well, he's, the, he's the string splitter of the two. Yeah, well, he was <laughs> maybe he had the biggest, I think he had the biggest mouth. I was going to say probably the best PR. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you know, people <laughs> just bet on him. But Jackson sure. was keeping it close to the vest and himself. Now, Dickinson himself had wagered $300 on himself. That he would kill Jackson. <laughs> It'd be funnier if he actually wagered it on Jackson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there go the odds. Absolutely. <laughs> and bank gambling was unregulated at the time. <laughs> and dueling was supposedly illegal, too, but uh, he did it anyway. Sure. Now, oh, it was supposed to actually was illegal at that yes, time? Yes, it was. Do- okay. Illegal. Good. In, in 18... <laughs> what was it? Yeah, 1803 was it okay. when uh, Burr killed Hamilton? Yeah, they sure. that was illegal too, but they did it anyway. <laughs> so now, while practicing, Dickinson had outlined Jackson's form on a tree and had boasted of how many times he had hit it. Oh, he's good. Yeah, <laughs> he's good. <laughs> Real good PR on Absolutely. this. Absolutely. I wonder people thought Jackson was a dead man, really. So it's like now, a WWF, uh, basically. It's yeah. like Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. A real you know? Smackdown. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Smackdown among gentlemen. Oh, <laughs> gentlemen. Now, Jackson was aware of the superior skill of his opponent. And with the help of his friend, John Overton, if you read anything about Jackson, you know he was instrumental in his rise and uh, the outcome of his political career. But anyway, Jackson and Overton worked out a strategy for engaging his adversary. Now, Jackson, let me see, what, when uh, Dickinson was out there talking and promoting, Jackson was plotting. <laughs> so you can see where this is going. There are two kinds of people in this world, Jerry. <laughs> PR people and plotters. <laughs> yeah. So Jackson wore an oversized blue frock coat and trousers that hid his thin and angular frame beneath a billowing layer of material. That was the strategy here. Also, he and Overton decided to let Dickinson fire first so that if he were trying t- so that if Jackson were trying to fire at the first time, the impact from a bullet would not spoil his aim. Mm-hmm. Th- and then even if injured, hopefully not killed. Right, you know, right. That's, I mean, he was taking a chance here. Then even if injured, he could steady himself and return fire. Right. This isn't Kevlar he's wearing. This is, no, <laughs> this is this cloth. This is just cloth. <laughs> Multiple layers, but nonetheless, you know. Yep. <laughs> now, he meant to do this, he said, that's Jackson, that is, even if it were the last act of his life, that is, even if he were hit, he would stand up and he would kill his opponent. The men met just across the border of Tennessee in Kentucky so they could cross over the line. And since the duel took place in <laughs> Kentucky, yes. they would soon escape and then they couldn't be arrested. Absolutely. So For dueling. Yes. The men met across the border of Tennessee and Kentucky amidst a clearing in a forest of poplar trees. Now, stakes had been placed in the ground 24 feet or eight paces <laughs> yes. apart, and the men took their places at the stakes. 
with pistols in their right hands. It's a good thing they use the stakes because if it were me, I would have been haggling about the space, f- how much, how many inches it was. I'd be haggling for days. I mean, oh, that's not. Yeah, now they're, that's, this was the job of the representatives. Their seconds, uh, they would come out there and they'd both, you know, they'd measure it out and everything, <laughs> and load the pistols, and sure. every, each side got to approve of all <laughs> circumstances. Now, n- here also there was no. Meeting back to back with pistols <laughs> at the red, you know, and then taking your paces. No, you just st- stood at the stakes and shoot each other. Yeah, <laughs> so turkey shoot, basically. Uh, now, Jackson stood slightly angled, not placing his body directly facing Dickinson, thus exposing even less of a target for Dickinson to shoot at. Shrewd, very shrewd. Yeah. Because so, he was kind of a skinny guy. Yeah. Very wiry, strong, but yeah. uh, not a big man. Joe Pesci could play him. Uh, no, not tall enough. No. He was about <laughs> he was six tall. feet to six two. Something. Oh. He was a good size. Gotcha. You know, tall. Okay. Okay. Now, John Overton, Jackson's friend, had won the right to supervise the duel and give the signal to fire. Now, Overton asked both of them, are you ready? <laughs> and when both Jackson and Dickinson answered, I am ready... Overton said the words, word, fire. Now, at this cue, Dickinson quickly raised his pistol, aimed, and fired. The bullet streaked across the eight paces, separating the men, grazed Jackson's shoulder, which was out toward Dickinson. Remember, he was standing sideways. Sure, sure. And then continued on, struck his chest, shattering two ribs, lodging in his chest an inch from his heart, wow. the bullet. Jackson's left arm shot up to the hole in his chest, covering a wound that was bleeding profusely. But all of this was hidden by his baggy coat. No <laughs> one could see. Sure, sure. Yeah. Jackson wavered momentarily, grimacing in pain, his chest throbbing, and then stood erect and still desperately trying to regain his composure. Jackson slowly and with great deliberation raised his pistol and aimed it at Dickinson. Dickinson was struck with terror to see that Jackson was still standing. (laughs) And he cried out and said, quote, My God, have I missed him? Unquote. (laughs) Dickinson then stepped a few paces backward away from Jackson. This moving from the assigned station was a violation of the rules <laughs> that dictated behavior during duels between gentlemen. This duel is off. <laughs> now, now, Overton, the Jackson second who was supervising, raising his pistol and aiming it at the terrorized man, that is Dickinson, yeah, yeah. said, quote, back to the mark, sir, unquote. If Dickinson had refused to step back to his assigned mark or had turned to run from the field, Overton would have been obliged to shoot him. That's part of the dueling That's rules, too? That's part of the code. Very That's nice. Right. Okay. But Dickinson did calm himself enough to return to his assigned place, and with his body squarely facing Jackson across the empty space between them, folded his arms across his chest to protect his vital organs, and bowed his head and which, awaited his opponent's return fire. Which which organs do you pick at that point? I can cover my kidneys and my spleen. 
but I'm really exposing my pancreas and my that's that's a split I second mean, decision. We don't have enough arms to cover everything no, worth covering all, here. They're all critical. I know. Gee. I'm big on, you know, <laughs> my well, liver. What my liver I does. I suppose <laughs> the way to protect against that is don't get in that sort of situation <laughs> in the well, first place. That. But that's not it. That we're not gonna talk about that right now. <laughs> I'll remember that the next time I feel the need for satisfaction. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking as you're going here that like how how big golf is uh, at, at country clubs. I think they should take up dueling. <laughs> I think that would be great. Twenty four paid twenty four dueling. You know, with you know, I think that would be a very honorable thing. And I think the extremely wealthy could show just how powerful they are by dueling regularly. <laughs> Put it on, on well, television. Well, maybe we could have a duel with paintball. Paintball, you know, kind no, of that's do a no fun. Duel. <laughs> no, no, that's not gonna work for me. <laughs> not violent <laughs> no. enough, huh? And then, you know, there's a golf channel. We could have a dueling channel on on on, on the set. Your satellite dish, you know, channel oh five eighty three. I haven't <laughs> thought of that. <laughs> this is huge. <laughs> well, cable is still expanding. It I is mean, there are all trying. sorts of things. So, Maybe I'm, on the dark web we could find. <laughs> But I need the works. I need top hats. I mean, every every sport has a uniform, so I want top hats, overcoats, you know, fine shoes, well polished. No, oh, yeah. I, I want the works here. Well, I don't. You know, I suppose we don't mean to diminish the importance of the Jackson Dickinson duel here, yeah. and maybe I should just get back here because we left it. <laughs> yes, Dickinson with his head bowed and just standing there waiting for Jackson to fire. Now. Dickinson was now at the mercy of Jackson and could do nothing to escape whatever fate sent screaming towards him out of the barrel of Jackson's pistol. Do you like that dramatic? That's pretty phrase? good. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, like, that was. Should I say that again? That was like Lowell Thomas. Uh, yeah. you know? <laughs> I thought I was being a little dr- overly dramatic. No, no, there. never. I, you can't I be. underline that. Just, it's radio. Just, no, you're good. <laughs> you're right in. Yeah, his fate. Was screaming towards him out of the barrel of Jackson's pistol. Walter Winchell okay. here for him. Your moment in history. Yeah. <laughs> now it was within Jackson's power to refuse to shoot at his opponent sure. if he so chose, or fire a shot in the air, thus ending the duel. Oh, you're only allowed one shot. Yep. Oh. But Jackson had made a promise to his friends and himself that he would hit or wound Dickinson in order to teach the young man a lesson. He was, Jackson thought, a loud-mouthed, reckless man who was a public nuisance and had disgraced the honor of both himself and his defenseless wife. So he's not letting anyone off here. Absolutely. With those thoughts racing through his mind, pain racking his chest, and remaining standing through sheer willpower, he pulled the trigger. Now, but the hammer stopped at half-cock, not detonating the powder in the barrel of his pistol. And for a moment... Just everyone was frozen in place. And then Jackson recocked his pistol because he gets to discharge his pistol one time. And again, he pulled the trigger. This time, the pistol flashed as the bullet exploded from the muzzle of his gun and with a lethal velocity shrieked toward Dickinson's downcast waiting figure. Yes. (laughs) Now, the bullet slammed into Dickinson's abdomen just below his ribs, sliced a jagged trail through his intestines and exited his body on the other side. Dickinson spun around and fell to the ground, and his doctor, running over to him and tearing open his clothing, trying to stem the flow of blood from the wound. 
The doctor instantly recognized the wound as a fatal one because they each would bring their own personal physician. Oh, of course, case, yeah. yeah. Now, a cut man in your corner, basically. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, Dickinson was slowly bleeding to death. Jackson immediately began walking from the field, determined to reveal nothing to his opponents about his injuries or his pain. About 100 yards from the site of the duel, his surgeon, who was walking with him, noticed that his shoes were full of blood. They had blood had been running down his, his body. And, uh, my God, General Jackson, are you hit? He asked Jackson. Jackson responded with the words, Oh, I believe that he has pinked me a little. Let's look at it. <laughs> now, there was nothing the doctor could do but bandage the wounds the best he could. Remember, that bullet was lodged right, an yeah. inch from his heart. Absolutely. And he returned Jackson to his home as quickly as possible. Jackson was confined to his bed for nearly a month, and even more months passed before he could move around without considerable pain and discomfort. Now, when asked afterwards how he had managed to return fire when he himself was so badly wounded, Jackson revealed the power of his determination by saying, quote, I'd have hit him if you shot me through the brain, unquote. <laughs> Still a lot of uh, hatred <laughs> going on there. Now, the injury never healed properly. And for years afterwards, Jackson felt the agonizing effects effects of this perilous gunflight, gunfight with Charles Dickinson. He carried the bullet next to his heart for the rest of his life, sometimes thinking of it as a symbol of the extent he would go to to passionately defend the honor and reputation of his beloved Rachel. Well, I guess that's a happy ending. Well, we're of. only halfway through the story, however. That is true. Yeah, that's just one event to illustrate this. Now, <laughs> next week we'll do Andrew and Rachel Part 2 and on to the presidency, okay? And that sounds things good. things got even worse. That's My gosh. A, that, is, uh, that is, this is like a Saturday afternoon cereal. The, uh, well, anyway. <laughs> Two-fisted Andrew Jackson. Thanks, everyone, for uh, coming in. And, Jeff, always nice to be here. That was fun. Okay. I'm I like a good romance. Fun. I like a good duel. This was all perfect. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> all right. Until next week. See you later. Bye. Spaces is produced in conjunction with CPL Radio, a service of the Cedarburg Public Library. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.